The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. All right, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of OH Partners, Scott Harkey, and today we're going to hear about the big impact Ricky Fowler had on plant-based wellness. I'm with a longtime friend and and badass CMO, Eric Dickens, who's now the co-founder and CEO at Cadenwood, which is the leader in plant-based wellness consumer products. Today, Eric and I are going to discuss how PGA star Ricky Fowler had an impact on this brand, Cadenwood, and where they're going next. And we're going to keep it free-flowing. Eric, what's up, bro? Good to see you, Scott, and good to be back to your podcast. Yeah, you were the original on, on my last podcast. I was just saying how we've, we've retooled a little bit. And I was telling Eric, I mean, you're the perfect guest for this podcast because um, we really want to create a community of smart marketing people who've been in the trenches, who are working for brands and making a difference in growing brands and growing loyalty and did it at King's Hawaiian from 100 million to, I think, 350 million. You've done it at, at major brands like Unilever and LifeLock. And I mean, you've definitely been around the block. And it's cool to see you go the founder route and uh, be an entrepreneur, and but you still have that kind of CMO vibe. So tell me about Ricky Fowler. How'd you pull off Ricky Fowler as a pretty young brand in the space? Yeah, so we were very fortunate. I later found out one of our competitors had a, a longstanding relationship with him and almost took for granted that they were going to be able to use him in their marketing. And then we came along. It was actually one of the lawyers at our legal firm had the connection to Ricky and his management team and set up the introduction. We had a chance to talk through who we were. And he was definitely really interested in getting into plant-based pain relief, specifically our, our line of CBD products, the brand Level Select. And he really liked what we were doing. Normally, Ricky commands a pretty hefty fee. And of course, being a, a young startup, that wasn't really our model, was to write big checks to, to athletes to help endorse our products. Our other investors, uh, our other athletes were all investors in the company. And so we, we proposed that same structure to him and he came aboard. That's awesome. I love just being innovative, especially as a young brand. I mean, you, you come from big budget CMO world at times, and, and we've certainly seen some celebrities come out with products like Ryan Reynolds, you know, Kardashians. So, I mean, the model exists. How does somebody go about doing that? Is it, is it the right connection? Is it the right business plan? Is it how you present? Like, how do you, how do you go to one of the top people in, in the field and, and get them in as, as not only an endorser, but, you know, really like an investor and an owner? Like, how does that happen? 
Yeah, so it's really like any other investor. They're investing in primarily two things. One, the product. So is there a quality product that people can really get excited about and stand behind? And the other is the team of people that are running the company. And as you know, we've been very fortunate to have not only a founding team, but also a team of uh, our board members, our, our senior management team, as well as many of our investors are highly accomplished. Our executive chairman is unicorn founder of LifeLock, Todd Davis. He obviously instills a lot of confidence when people see that he's making a bet on this company and actually investing his time to lead it. But then also, as far as the, the athletes are concerned, one of our co-founders is baseball legend Steve Garvey, who our first product was actually formulated to help him solve a shoulder injury that he had. Many people don't know this, but he used to play uh, football at Michigan State and baseball when he was in college. And he suffered a shoulder injury, which actually led him to becoming a first baseman. He was supposed to be a third baseman, but uh, his shoulder injury actually kept him from having a very accurate throw from third base. So they wanted his bat in the lineup. They asked him if he could play first base. He, of course, said he, he could, even though I think he'd only played one inning in high school in first base. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, and he's so, from Lansing. Uh, he's smart and I love it. He and Magic Johnson. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, Steve, obviously being involved from the very beginning, was something that caused people to to think twice. And then we built a steady cadre of athlete endorsers before Ricky came in. Carson Palmer, former Heisman Trophy winner and also Arizona Cardinal quarterback, fourteen years in the NFL. Annie Myers Drysdale, who also is uh, very popular in the Phoenix area. We had them on board uh, before we started talking to Ricky. And so having them in the fold already certainly helped with his decision making. That's cool. I always wonder, so would you take, I mean, there's so many advantages to celebrity-backed brands or investors of celebrities or or brands that can really pivot and do innovative things. And, uh, you know, you're the king of that especially at the last two companies with, you know, King's Hawaiian being smaller and, and now Cadenwood, would you take the advantage that big brands have with big budgets and shelf space and, you know, large awareness percentage, or would you take the innovation opportunities in today's market with a small brand? It's a great question. And, you know, when <laughs> I was... You've done both. Not many people have done both. Well, so frankly, when I was at larger companies... One of the things that allowed me to succeed and really stand apart from my peers was managing the brand within the larger company as if it was a startup. Hmm. And I often found, especially at larger companies that I worked at, whether it was Kraft or Henkel, it was relatively easy to get complacent because you had larger budgets. The goals, the growth goals were not super aggressive because the brands were so established. But that didn't really provide a whole lot of opportunity for excitement. So I always tried to view the business that I was working on as a, as a small business or a startup within a larger organization, which caused us to think differently about how we managed the business and how we went to market. And yeah, I could always take the marketing plan or the media budget that was issued to me and, and just manage and monitor that as the year would go on. But that wasn't fun for me. And so I actually took some risks early on my career by disrupting those budgets, investing in things that were non-standard at the time and became, they became mainstream marketing tactics. But at the time that I did them, they were considered new and risky. So for instance, when I was at Kraft Foods, 
I, uh, my first brand was a hundred year old grape nut cereal and we were launching a line extension and I got asked to manage a $10 million media budget. Well, I, uh, the show, the apprentice at the time with Donald Trump was really new and really hot, had like 25 million viewers, new products were showing up on the show every week. And this was something that craft did not do. Craft didn't do things that were, you know, brand integrations and things that were considered innovative and risky. I actually made a pitch to invest money in a brand integration on The Apprentice to launch that cereal brand. At first, it was met with a lot of resistance. And then finally, I got a yes, but they said, you're not going to get an incremental $3 million or whatever it was going to be to invest in that program. You have to take it out of your existing budget and take and make the bet. And I did. And after a lot of work going into that, we made the investment and it more than doubled the size of the business that we had projected. So it paid off. You definitely have. I'm thinking back, just knowing your career of all the big bets you've made from King's Hawaiian, the big media bet and Super Bowl ad to, man, I know I actually know a lot to certainly LifeLock and some of the bets you made there. And, and now some of these bets, has there been bets that haven't worked out or how does, some, how does a marketer get confidence to, to make a bet like that? Yeah, well, how I've gotten to making bets that work is by making bets that don't work and learning from them. Um, Yeah. Fortunately, I've always had a balanced approach. You had the data and you knew it was going to be a big bet. It was just a big bet and you knew you had the cards and you played it. Yeah, yeah. And so I I will say The Apprentice was the biggest risk I took and and it paid off. That kind of, and you know, I did it a few more times with different brands, but Some of the bigger bets, I made some bets when I was at King's Hawaiian on the Oscars. And those bets were not as effective as I had hoped. But what it led to was the opportunity that we did with the Super Bowl. And and so I took those lessons from the experience with the Oscars, applied it to the Super Bowl, and that had a dramatic effect on that business. That's a great point. So even the bets that don't have the return, you're able to kind of pivot and make a better bet out of one that maybe isn't doesn't have the upside you thought. What, yeah, what do you think? Just meant I had to go bigger, right? Like the Oscars is a pretty big <laughs> yeah. platform, and then the Super Bowl is you know as big as it gets. What do you think? A lot of marketers you meet struggle with that. Do you think is it is it confidence with the board and or the CEO about a bet, or what? What do you think is prohibiting great marketers to make the bets they believe in? So in my observation, the thing that limits marketers the most is they end up managing their career rather than managing the business, not recognizing that if they just manage the business, the career will follow. But young marketers are trained that they have to do certain things, behave certain ways, especially in larger organizations in order to achieve positions of greater responsibility. I've always just thrown that to the wind and tried to manage the business to the best of my ability, and it's paid off. And really treating the business like it's your own business, spending the money like it's your own money, making investments that you think are going to have, like you have to really believe that it's going to have the impact you want. And you also have to pay attention. You can't just outsource your business to agencies and vendors that are selling you things because it's going to benefit them. In many cases, their goals are aligned with yours, but sometimes they're not. And you really have to treat the money like it's your own, the business like it's your own, and pay attention and be accountable to yourself as well. Sometimes it's too easy to do stuff in marketing, have a bunch of stuff that doesn't work out, 
and then not really reflect on it and take accountability for it. I think all of those are the things that really make a difference between the general population of marketers and those that end up doing something special. That's really, that's, <laughs> that's such a good point. As an entrepreneur for the last 15 years, I, I get that. And I've seen great marketers. And I've seen other marketers that play really conservative baseball. A lot of times it feels like they're playing not to get fired <laughs> more so than they are to move the business in a meaningful way. Man, that's a, that's a great point. What's next for Cadenwood? I know you guys have so much stuff going on. Like, talk to us about kind of the, the strategy of, of course, you have the, the level up, I think level up brand with, level, with Ricky. Level Fatt. select. Yeah. So level, level select. select. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you have other brands, you're inside CVS. I know Todd and I talked a little bit about it. What are some of the other things you're doing marketing wise within Cadenwood? Yeah, so on the CBD side, Level Select, Social CBD are two of our leading CBD brands. And between the two, we have the largest retail distribution in the entire industry, which for being a company that's not even four years old yet is a pretty pretty big accomplishment. And we're in all the major retailers that carry CBD. So CVS, Walgreens, Kroger, the largest national retailers don't carry CBD products. And so that's led us to innovate beyond CBD into other plant-based products that are still highly innovative, still really, uh, really good for people and provide a lot of efficacy. So we have a launch coming out next year that's already been selected as an A launch for CVS that's getting full distribution nationwide, full support from the retailer. Other retailers are following suit, all the other major retailers you would expect. But it's also giving us access to the larger retailers that don't carry CBD products. And the product is called Level Select OTC. And it has all plant-based ingredients. It has five plant-based ingredients that are listed as inactive ingredients because like CBD, they're not completely proven out to have a claims table yet, but we know they have efficacy. And But unlike CBD, they're not restricted ingredients that restrict our, our, our ability to advertise, restrict our ability to distribute nationally and so forth. So that product is one that we're really excited about. And then Just in the last week, we've coalesced around an investment. I can't announce it yet, but we're going to be expanding into even more plant-based, over-the-counter consumer goods beyond just our our leadership in CBD. I really think you've taught me this about how important retail distribution is. And and of course, experienced CPG marketers understand this. And I think we certainly had a craze of D2C social brands that have done really well. I personally think the the market's a little crowded and the return on ad spend wasn't like it was even two, three, four years ago. Do you think retail's coming back even more? Is that still a missed opportunity? I mean, you guys are heavy into retail in a consumer segment that's, at least in the CB side, pretty crowded. Any other thoughts on retail? Well, so retail to me is like what TV advertising was 15 years ago when everybody said it was dead and you had to move to, you know, to digital and social, of course. <laughs> You know, that turned out to be a big lie because the people who were propagating it were the people benefiting from selling digital media. 100% uh, better TV, margin. Yeah. Look, TV has definitely declined in efficacy over time, but it's still a, an incredibly powerful and an important medium. The same goes for retail. We're hearing, oh, you know, like you have to have a direct-to-consumer presence, which we do, but we're not direct-to-consumer only. And the one thing that retail does for all of us Of course, anybody can start a business tomorrow and sell it online. And you're going to be one of thousands of different products that are sold online. And consumers really don't know how to discriminate between 
all of the different products. What retail does is they discriminate for the consumer and they tell the consumer, these are the top brands that deserve our shelf shelf space. So even if you don't end up buying the product at the retailer, when you go online to look for products, if it's a brand that's sold at retail, it's going to matter more to you than a brand that doesn't have a retail presence because the retailer hasn't put you through the paces and endorsed you. And that that's just such an important component of consumer goods is the endorsement from the retailers that consumers know are not only lending their credibility to, but they have their own rigorous standards and wouldn't put a brand on shelf that didn't meet certain standards. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's so much to the trust factor that doesn't show up in multi-point attribution. And if you want to give Google last click, fine. But I think building that trust is so important. We have a ton of other topics and I like to break these up. So we're, we're going to do another one tomorrow. And I'm going to get into a overvalued, undervalued with Eric. We're going to talk about a couple more of the brands and things he's working on. I want to hear about some of the past King's Hawaiian work because it's fascinating. So we're going to wrap up this episode. Huge thanks to Eric Dickens, co-founder, CEO at Caden Wood for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Eric and I are going to discuss how King's Hawaiian did a feature film starring Mark Hamill. A really cool project that uh, I remember hearing about from back in the day, but I, I think it's really relevant. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Eric, you'll find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact them on Twitter where his handle is at Eric Dickens, and that's actually E-R-C-K, uh, Eric, or visit his company website at www.cadenwoodbrands.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to our podcast, head over to therebrandpod.com. We'll have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our newsletter or talk about the most impactful marketing campaign. Uh, You can apply to be a guest speaker on the Rebrand Podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at rebrandpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the good stuff. You can find me on Twitter at SharkyAZ or Instagram at Scott Harkey. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing brilliance in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day. We're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button on the podcast app and we'll be right back the next business day. All right, that's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 